When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Profoundly Pointless Podcast. My name is Nick. Here's a quick look at what's coming up on the show. What we see Satan as is the ultimate symbol, the ultimate rebel against tyranny. We see God as a tyrant that must be followed under any circumstance, under the threat of punishment. And you'll see in public comments hearings, in, in various things that we've done, I mean, they, they think that once we speak, they literally think fire will rain from the sky and the, and the pits of hell will open up and demons will crawl out. I mean, they say things like this. You just said I would win. No, I said you would not win. But how would I not win when you've just admitted that my rhino takes down your elephant and my wolves no, take I, down your cheetah? No, I said the wolves would take down the cheetah. The elephant would not take, or the uh, rhino would not take down the elephant. I don't know about that, man. So I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Coming up on this episode, we're going to be talking to one of the leaders of what has recently been called the most controversial religion in the world. We're also going to be dabbling in a new segment where we answer some of the questions that you guys have sent us, and we're going to be discussing the top five Christmas movies of all time. Our first guest, though, is a Satanist. His name is Stu DeHaan. And he's one of the leaders of the Satanic Temple of Arizona, which has recently, like I said, been called the most controversial religion in the world. And that's because, not only because of the obvious kind of associations you might immediately think of when talking about Satanism, but because they've been very active in getting their religion out there. They've asked to give the prayer at city council meetings. They're involved in a federal lawsuit in Arkansas. They've tried to create after-school Satanism programs, and they've even done some of those highway cleanups, one they call Highway to Hell. So this is Stu DeHaan. A Satanist is what? Well, there's uh, different variations of, of what we consider to be called modern Satanism, um, and that's everything from the Church of Satan till present. Um, I am a member of the Satanic Temple, which is a more recent uh, version what we generally describe it as is a non-theist religion that encompasses Enlightenment era values, um, including empathy, nature, reason, logic, things like that. For people who obviously know what those words mean but maybe don't know what the context is behind them, what do you mean by that? So it's kind of it, it's a bit of a humanistic approach um, that kind of shuns the supernatural and superstition. Um, the way we see Satan is metaphorical. It's not literal, so there's no devil worship or things like that. In fact, devil worship doesn't really exist ever and hasn't in modern Satanism. But um, what we see Satan as is the ultimate symbol, the ultimate rebel against tyranny. So uh, in that archetype, um, that character was basically the, the grandest version of a figure that fought against arbitrary tyranny. Uh, and the status quo, which is God. And we say we see God as a tyrant that must be followed under any circumstance under the threat of punishment. 
and Satan rejects and rebels against that. Essentially, it has all the elements of any other religion except for a deity. We don't believe in the concept of worshiping anything, um, but there are parts of it that are very religious, including we have tenets, um, which is kind of our code, uh, code of ethics. We have a sense of community. We have iconography. There's literature back. We have ritual practice, which we uh, make certain everyone knows is not to invoke anything supernatural. It's more of a either, some people say, cathartic or transformative experience. You're not necessarily worshipping the idea of the traditional Satan in that in that regard. No, we don't believe in a literal Satan. We don't believe that gods and demons and angels exist. Do you think that it would be perceived differently, though, if you had chose something else besides Satan? I don't know what that other thing would necessarily be, but something that maybe doesn't immediately come to mind the kind of things that bring that Satan does. I mean, well, you kind of said it. There is nothing else to call it. It is Satanism. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's the exact metaphor by which we live. Um, and there is that kind of shock value. But part of that, part of the purpose of that is for people to kind of question the notions of good and evil and to kind of reverse the narrative of a very common Western mythology and, and for people to question which one of these characters is the good guy. The, the one who says you must love me or I'll punish you forever, which we consider a domestic violence relationship, or the one who reje- rejects these norms and says, no, you know, we're going to live our own way and you, you can't stop us. So for us, this is taking a stand against what we see as encroaching theocracy and social norms that are arbitrary, such as blasphemy laws, uh, restrictions for reproductive rights, um, freedom of speech limitations, and essentially a heckler's veto is what we call it legally where people will try to stop your First Amendment rights and your freedoms because they think it's weird. How did you originally find out that this was for you? Did you grow up Catholic or any other religion? No, so a lot of people in the Satanic Temple come from different, various backgrounds. A lot of people were atheists the entire time, and instead of defining themselves by what they weren't, they wanted to define themselves by what they were. Uh, Because religion is kind of part of the human experience from the beginning of time. In humanity, there's been various religions. So there is kind of a desire for people to have their community based around a specific set of beliefs. So a lot of people come come to the Satanic Temple. I, I call them recovering Christians. Um, people, We have a lot of LGBT community because they were ousted by their Christian family, again, usually for religious reasons. Um, me, personally, uh, I considered it kind of a coming-home religion, which is what Satanism is often defined as, which means... You don't have to change yourself to be part of it. You realize this is the way you always were, and you didn't realize there was something out there for you in this kind of religious context. So for me, when I discovered the Satanic Temple, I was like, well, this is exactly how I've always felt and the way I've always lived my life. Now, how long have you been a member of the Satanic Temple? Um, Well, I kind of came out swinging. Uh, I joined in 2015 and immediately started a chapter in Arizona um, with my co-founder, Michelle Short. Um, I ended up starting a campaign here in Arizona, and it just kind of took off from there. And uh, now I'm the the chief legal counsel for the organization. When you tell people that you are a Satanist, what is their general response? It's all across the board. Um, I tip, uh, me personally, some people scream it from the rooftops. Um, I call them reactive Satanists. A lot of people do it primarily for the shock value. Um, That's not really my jam. I actually don't usually draw attention to it unless I'm asked. 
uh, people <laughs> now people pretty much know it's uh, I've been pretty high profile in the organization people know that this is what I do but um, generally it comes with a I would say a sense of curiosity I don't often get a lot of vitriol for for it or yeah. or judgment unless it's on the internet <laughs> the internet's a, a vile place where people attack me and death threats and hate mail all the time but generally on a one-on-one context with people of all walks of life I, I don't really see that I see mostly oh that's interesting tell me about it it's more that kind of thing I always feel like people are pretty reasonable one-on-one yes I do too and I, and I see this in, in more than just this context I think just in general if you get people in a room they can have a conversation but when you get people online which unfortunately is our our society's current main form of interaction people get pretty nasty pretty quick you have been pretty high profile in the sense that you guys, specifically in the Tucson chapter, have kind of gone after the establishment in Arizona, petitioning to speak at city council to give the invocation, which for people maybe who don't know is kind of a traditional prayer. How did you guys get into that? We realized that there were these opening prayer situations happening in in Phoenix, and it was what was called um, essentially an all-commerce system, which means anybody from any faith around the state can give these opening prayers so what we did was we simply asked and said hey we want to be included in this and essentially all hell broke loose it resulted in the city of phoenix shutting down the entire program because you know they they had to discriminate they they couldn't muster the fact that we you know they could handle the fact that we had the right to do this so they just ended the entire program and now they have a chaplain system but now um also currently we're embroiled in a federal lawsuit against the city of scottsdale because uh, they had no policy, and then just decided when we asked that they have a policy now. So there's blatant discrimination, and what we find through these campaigns is when people talk about religious liberty, that's not really what they mean. Uh, to most people, religious liberty means Christian supremacy. Um, it, they see it as their Christian right to discriminate against minority groups. Did you get any su- support from some unex- from any unexpected places? People are surprisingly supportive if they're First Amendment people. You know, whether you like us or hate us, it's kind of irrelevant to the equation. The question is, do we have a right, as every other American citizen, to engage in such activities? And the answer, of course, is yes. In fact, the country was founded on that principle. But you see the cognitive dissonance that happens when they've never had a situation where it's a group they are weirded out by or they think is strange or bizarre or evil, and all of a sudden that that mentality breaks down. Um, and and they, they say things like, this is equality gone too far. Or I completely agree with the freedom of religion, but... <laughs> and all of a sudden there's a caveat, which, of course, doesn't logically fly. But in that, um, I found that a lot of the legal community is very much supportive of what we do. I find that even people of other religious faiths are very much in support of it because they also see the blatant hypocrisy in these systems. And I think reasonable people generally dislike hypocrisy. I'm a news reporter. I remember covering that kind of story. And I remember a lot of people just being like, yeah, whatever. I mean, they're a religion, too. What's the big deal? I think the yeah, whatever factor is exactly how people should feel about it. Um, But there is this, the supernaturalists are the ones that are really freaking out, I guess, about this. So you've got the general public who... And you'll see in public comments hearings in, in various things that we've done, I mean, they, they think that once we speak, they literally think fire will rain from the sky and the, and the pits of hell will open up and demons will crawl out. I mean, they say things like this. It's it's almost medieval. 
So we get a lot of uh, hate mail and death threats for people like that. But from the political spectrum, for people that are in the legislature and the city councils, what I generally see is a lot of pandering. They, what they're doing is they're just trying to satisfy their constituents. So if they get a bunch of emails saying shut down their First Amendment rights, they'll just be like, oh, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I, I just – I don't watch these programs necessarily anymore, but I remember seeing stuff, you know, in – like true crime and things like this and the kid was a satanist or he worships satan those kind of ideas the stuff that all these bad things are associated with that broad belief that you have what do you think when you see that kind of stuff so that originated in the 1980s um a lot of it was from geraldo rivera um and we call that time period the satanic panic where there were there were all, all kinds of um charges and prosecutions and rumors that essentially in every corner there were some secret demonic cults that were raising the dead and human sacrifice and um sex cults and all this all this crazy stuff and uh there's many books since then that have been written debunking all of that and essentially it never happened but you can even see in, in a lot of horror movies from the 80s where a lot of horror movies are essentially christian propaganda where you know the, the the satanic cult gets defeated by the goodness of, of the Lord in the end, and you know it's it's just it's it's just propaganda. Uh, there, there's never been any truth to it, but you see today still um, a lot of those kind of thoughts remain, and a lot of it is through pseudoscience. So a lot of these convictions were obtained through science that's since been debunked. A lot of it stemming from what used to be called multiple personality syndrome, they now call DID. Uh, dissociative identity disorder and there's all kinds of essentially bad junk science that convinced people that they were possessed that convinced people that um they were they were being controlled by demons kind of the devil made me do it cop out stuff um and then you will have a couple cases of mentally ill people who had did commit murders who claimed uh, the satanic mantle um but those are very over focused on because i mean how many times has people have people murdered their child in the name of the Lord? I mean, it's 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 mental illness. You know, obviously, people are very familiar, or at least I think they're very familiar with kind of the Christian Christian traditional relief beliefs and rituals. How do you guys go about practicing? So, a lot of what started with what we consider satanic ritual was uh, called originally the Black Mass, and a lot of these things were actually written by Christian priests and. And it was basically their own pornography. They were saying, Satanists are out there and this is what they do. Well, that was never true. That wasn't actually happening. But what the what we've done is we've kind of taken on those types of rituals and we call them psychodrama, which is it's it's essentially kind of a you know, something that gets your, your blood flowing and, and it's it's kind of a mockery of what they think we do. Um, and that was kind of the origination of the satanic ritual. Um, from there, the Satanic Temple, our organization, has done um, a lot of different variations of that. So, for example, one popular ritual we have is called the destruction ritual, which is taking something physical in your home or something you keep around. It could be letters from a, from a loved one that's now deceased that, that was a painful memory. It, it could be literally anything, but what we do is we kind of destroy these things in a public setting to kind of release that tension to say, we don't need this anymore. We can we can burn it, we can destroy it, and kind of release ourselves from the connection to these negative thoughts. Our rituals are very much psychological, they're very much earthly, and they're never invoking spirits or anything like that. Is it something that you practice every day? Like, obviously, you have 
the Islamic call to prayer, people go to mass every day. Is it like that? I think if you ask everybody, um, you'll get a different answer. It, it depends on how ritualic, ritualistic your your satanic practice is. Some people don't do it at all. Um, other people take great meaning in it. Um, to some people, they'll say their ritual is reading books um, and, and gaining knowledge, uh, which is which is one of our uh, important tenets is that we adhere to the most advanced knowledge of our times. Give me a little bit of a leeway on this one because I'm going to speak in, in really kind of broad terms. But a lot of the things just listening to you that you describe, they don't sound that much different than any other religion. But what would you say to somebody that says, well, if you just didn't call it the thing that you called it, if maybe people didn't dress the way that they did or maybe act the way that they did or something like that, it could be much more accepted? Um, we're not here to be accepted. Um, that If someone's offended by what we do, that's their problem, not ours. Um, we're not here to satisfy what other people think we should be doing, just like they're not trying to satisfy other people by whatever religious practice they have. It's not about them. Uh, we could care less if people are offended by our existence. And if they are, they should, they should really look inward and ask themselves why they're so scared if their faith is so strong. I've always been fascinated by people who are afraid of questions. If they're afraid of anything that could question their belief or anything like that, it seems to me like they don't have answers then, or maybe they don't have as strong of a faith or anything like that. I completely agree. That's, that's a, another way to put it, really, is if you're so scared... I mean, I've had reporters talk to me in carrying holy water, and, and I'm like, what are you so scared of? Like, what do you think is going to happen? Are you that scared of your own God that you're going to get punished for trying to learn something? And if so, maybe you should question that system. <laughs> Whenever we do something, like for instance, we now have a holiday display in uh, Chicago, and it is the hand of Eve holding an apple with a serpent wrapped around it, and it says, knowledge is the greatest gift. Um, it's very tasteful. It's very artistic. But people are all kind of saying we're doing this as kind of a fuck you to the majority religions and and we keep saying it doesn't it's not about you we we this isn't this isn't anything other than us doing the same thing you're doing putting our religious iconography in a public space where we have the right to do so that's that's all we're doing so if you're taking offense to it that's your problem not ours (laughs) when you get down to it though do you find that most people who are associated with the temple and with Satanism, do they really believe that, or are they just kind of rebelling against things? That's, again, what I'll say about the types of Satanists. So you you, you are going to have always a contingent of Satanists that are like, you know, their, their real aim is to just thumb their nose at, at everything, you know, whatever whatever it is. Whether it's wearing the, the, the pentagram on the shirt to piss off mom, you know, it could be as simple as that. But, you know, a lot of people, I think, want us to be trolls. A lot of people are, are, are out there saying, oh, this is just a troll group and they're doing it brilliantly. And we're going, no, we're not a troll group. We're actually just a, a group that's, that's politically and legally savvy that wants to ensure that freedom of religion is pluralistic. Because if, sec- if secular government is a fantasy, then pluralism has to be enforced. And what we're finding more and more is that secular government is a fantasy. There's all kinds of laws across the country that are based on the Christian mythos, whether it's abortion restrictions or putting up nativity scenes but excluding all other groups or, or other groups are afraid to even ask. And these are the things that we're getting in the fray of. Do you think that, though, people's, this is not the right word, religiousness or spirituality, do you think that that is, is that starting to go away? Are people becoming less religious? 
Well, you, we saw this happen in Europe, in the Netherlands specifically in the 1960s, where over time when people saw uh, the hypocrisy of it, how outdated it was, um, the, how it was kind of getting watered down in whatever aspect you think it is getting watered down, people started to kind of leave it. And it happened in mass in the Netherlands. I mean, they were shutting down churches left and right. And my personal opinion is that with the direction of this crazy evangelicalism that's happening in this country, and a lot of these people are in political power, they're losing the respect of the masses. I mean, they're they're acting hypocritically. You see priests molesting children daily. There's another story. I think people have had it. People are tired of it. So I'm proud to be part of an organization that's kind of causing this cognitive dissonance and ensuring that freedom uh, for religion is enforced in this country, not just for the predominant religion. What's the weirdest or strangest experience you've ever had when talking with someone after you told them what you believed in? Well, I always think it's it's funny when people are like, well, you know you're going to hell, right? And I'm like, well, you know from what I just said that I don't believe that, <laughs> believe in that kind of stuff. So it's like, you know, to me, it, it's almost like if I told someone they were going to Hades, they would laugh at me. Like, oh, Greek mythology, that's dead. It's like, well... What's the difference? What, though, happens, and this is a very broad question, if after you die, you find out you're completely wrong and these people were right the whole time? I'm willing to take that risk. How's that? I'll, 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 hedge that? I'll hedge that bet. What would be your reaction if we find out that you were completely right and everybody else would be wrong, was wrong? Well, everyone's going to be in the same place. How many members do you guys have? Have you been growing? Yeah, in fact, um, at this point, the Arizona chapter may be the biggest chapter in the country. We've been highly active, and that's mostly in part to our very active chapter head. Um, Michelle's been amazing at organizing and putting things together. What is the after-school Satan program? So we found that at, in public schools, um, there's after-school Christian programs. Um, and uh, so we, we created a secular program, um, called it after-school Satan, to see if we could get it into public schools. To, to, as an alternative for to kids being proselytized in a publicly funded school. Um, and we actually did so at a request of parents in various jurisdictions. And uh, that did not go very well, but there were a couple that got off the ground, and one of them was Salt Lake City. I mean, do you ever think that it could get to the point where your guys' names is mentioned alongside with Christianity or being a Baptist or anything like that, where it's just like, yep, and no one bats an eye? I don't see that out of the realm of possibilities. I mean, we're, we're being called the most controversial um, religious group in American history right now. We've been around for, you know, five, six, seven years. So <laughs> I want to ask you this question, too. And again, kind of give me a little bit of leeway because I'm going to be really broad and maybe too general in this sense. But will you ever get somebody who maybe is a misguided person or anything like that that comes in that you guys will kind of steer away or say, hey, you need to maybe this really isn't for you and you need to do all the time. this all the time what do you guys kind of do in that in those situations like is there any specific example that you have sure i mean we we have to vet members we have to because we have a cohesive message we have a cohesive um unit a cohesive set of goals and, and values and, and a lot of people want to join either because for shits and giggles because they're the reactive and they want to piss off mom um or we have people that literally do just want to troll people and they they're not really in it for the, the whole um satanic religion aspect of it they're just like oh you guys you guys are in headlines and, and fuck shit up let me join you know it's and we, we try to 
keep those people away because they invariably cause us problems. I want to thank Stu DeHaan so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to both him and the Satanic Temple of Arizona on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have a website, profoundlypointless.com. I want to be clear. It's just a coincidence. It really is just a coincidence that we ended up talking to him around Christmas. It was just a scheduling thing. I think you're going to continue to hear more and more about them because those legal cases that they have are moving forward, and they also have a documentary that's going to be coming out at Sundance later on this year. Now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call, and I want to warn you guys ahead of time, he's in a little bit of a mood, which may or may not be my fault. Hello? Hello? Hello, how can I help you? I don't, I don't know how I feel about this right now. Why are you going so businesslike? I'm sorry, are you a telemarketer? I, I, can't, I can't tell. You're going to have to try to speak up. I can't hear you. My son was listening for a second, and he just left the room. <laughs> well, you weren't expecting that, were you? I don't know if it wasn't, I wasn't expecting it. I was just disappointed. Well, I mean, listen, that's the holiday season. You're probably disappointed a lot. Why would I be more disappointed in the holiday season? Because I think this is when you find out that no one really likes you. I mean, I am. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm pretty upset about the fact I didn't get a Christmas card. You did get a Christmas card. No, I did not. That's not a Christmas card. That's a birth announcement that's different. Did you or did you not get some kind of physical paper item in the mail from me around the holiday season? Is it a Christmas card? But is it is it not sent during the holidays, and is it not a card? It's an easy answer. Is it a Christmas card, yes or no? I, I cannot confirm nor deny that those rumors, sir. Here's the other thing. Earlier today, you texted me that you were cooking and hosting. Don't use the word hosting. Well, I mean, what's wrong with what? <laughs> what would you like me to call it, then? Well, you're not a famous chef. You're not hosting people. You're just having people over. Don't no, try to class it up. People. I, I don't care if you live in a vacant dwelling and you're having bums over. You're hosting people. But you can't call it that. Like, if it's hosting people, I'm expecting that you're going to have some kind of a butler or some kind of servant in there that's bringing in plates and stuff like that that you've been cooking for days. Like, you just threw something in the microwave and invited one of your friends over. Just so you know, I've been cooking since 5 a.m. this morning. Are you Are you smoking a meat? And an 11 pound brisket, nice and nice, and I thawed it out nice and hard, and then rubbed it real, real good and put it in the smoker. When you're smoking a meat, what's what's the technique to get it from being soft to hard the best? You know, it, it's really a gradual thing. You know, you, you got you got to work with it. Oh, it's slow. I like to say. Do you go pretty deep, or do you take the whole thing at a, at one time, or do you split it up and or you only take like half of it in? No, no, I like to, I like to take the whole thing. I like to, I like it all at once. I'm... You just you just go straight you just go straight down to cooking, huh? I'd rather just throw it in there and and see what comes out the other end. Did you know that the electric eel is not actually an eel? It's a fish, specifically a knife fish, which is related to the catfish. It's it's pretty big though. It's like seven feet and about fifty pounds. What what is the eel? Yeah, the eel. It's much bigger than I thought it would be. Yeah, eels eels don't weigh 50 pounds. 
the electric eel does, which is, again, not actually an eel, but a fish. Hmm. Do you think it's ever been to Electric Avenue? Ayo. <laughs> that is so good and so bad at the same time. John's Fast Five. Pew, 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 pew. John's Fast Five. John's Fast Five. My God! My God! In a second. Wait. This isn't going to work while he's out awake. You know that, right? I have to postpone the Fast Five until next week. Why? I, I didn't have ample time to prepare. What do you mean you don't have ample time to prepare? You couldn't find five things in a week? I didn't have ample time time to prepare, so there, there won't be a Fast Five this week, but it will make its triumphant return uh, after the new year. But how do you not have time? Like, whenever somebody tells me they don't have time to, something, time to do something, I immediately don't believe them. I mean, I, you shouldn't even have to question that. You're a, you're a dad. I mean, you, you tell me how much time you have during the week. Plenty. I think that really people have plenty of time. Unless you are the president of the United States or are leading some country, you have plenty of time to do the things that you do. You just don't prioritize it or you don't have the energy to do it. But it's not a time issue. See, I, I, so I, I do agree with you on that. I, I agree that most people do not know how to prioritize things correctly. So I guess it is my fault. However, it has been a busy week. But you you had a week. You had a week. I did have a week. You're, you're absolutely correct. I got, I got nothing. I got nothing. How long? I ran out of time. I ran out of time. How, you didn't run out of time. You didn't make time. There's a big difference. Tell me then the most... What would you have included? Give me, give me, let's boil the fast five down to just one thing. Give me one thing. But see, now now you're putting me on the spot and I'm getting stage fright. Can we come back to it? No. I, I would rather talk about how much of a dick you were being when I was trying to figure out the fast five, or not the fast five, but the top five, and you you wouldn't even confirm with me which one that was. (laughs) See, but this is, this is something that both you and my wife do. I'm the same person all of the time, basically. My mood pretty much doesn't change. But every two or three months, both you and my wife will get mad at me for just being me and say I'm being a jerk. When really, I'm doing the exact same thing. You're just having a bad day and you try to take it out on me. <laughs> no, I, you asked me my, my, what I wanted to do and I picked one and you said, okay, we're doing the opposite. But see, that's what I always do that. I'm always acting like that. It's just that yesterday, because you were a little busy doing whatever, probably just watching baseball highlights, and then you there's got mad at me. Nothing wrong with that. No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I'm saying you took it out on me when really the issue was you not being prepared. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to inflate your ego and say that you may be, you know, you make sense, but. You don't have to be a dick about it. But I'm not being a dick. Like, I, that's how I always am. So you're so you're admitting to the entire world that you're always a dick. Yeah, I, I guess so. But then it's not being a dick to for me. It's just being normal me. Like, for me to be a dick, I would really have to go out of the way and be even more of a jerk. So, like, what kind of dick are you? I'd like to think a smallish one. I mean, I don't think I'm really a big dick. I'm also generally pretty nice 
So I would say I'm a small, soft one. <laughs> why is there? Why is why is this entire episode basically just penis jokes? <laughs> because you, for some reason, cannot get over the fact that smoking meat is a real thing, and it takes talent to smoke meat well. I completely listen. Past experience has taught me that that is probably the most accurate thing you've ever said in your life. Did you know that the electric eel can actually curl up and it touches its head and its tail together? That creates a closed loop and it can maintain an electric defensive charge for as long as an hour. So here, here's what I've never understood about the electric eel. And I'm sure you know this from doing extensive research. Where does the, the charge come from? Where does the current come from? Funny you should ask. The electric eel's charge comes from nearly 6,000 electroplaques, which is basically a special type of cell or skin that it uses like a battery and has a positive charge on one side and a negative charge on the other and uses that to create an electric shock. Wow, that's pretty badass. I feel like we should be studying the electric eel a lot more. You know, I, I would say out of all the animals that you brought up, maybe besides the otter, that the eel is an underrated animal. Like, if I'm going into battle, I might pick the like the eel to be by my side. If you were going to go into battle, give me your top three animals that you would want with you. Well, let's see. I'm for sure taking an elephant. Good choice. Probably some kind of vicious bird. Yeah, like an eagle or a hawk or something, and then because uh, I'll be able to swim underwater. We've already touched on that because that'll be my superpower. Well, this is a land-based battle. It's not a naval. Oh. It's not naval warfare. All right, then give me yeah. Then give me a cheetah. See, but I don't think the cheetah is going to be that helpful. I don't think the cheetah is really going to be that good. How? They're the they're, unless I'm mistaken, they're the fastest animal on on earth. Yeah, but I think that they're a short burst. And when you're going into battle, you've got to be ready for a long time. My top three, number one would be the wolf. <laughs> you love you some wolf. I'm telling you, man, the wolf is the most impressive animal that's out there. I mean, think about it in terms of like they have great group coordination. They work together very well. They're fast. They're pretty big. And they're mean. That I don't know what better combination you could have than really the wolf. I think size-wise... I wouldn't go with the elephant. I would actually take a rhino into battle. So I'm going wolf, rhino, and then I would go with some kind of a bird. Because you could use the bird to get to like take out other animals' eyes. I don't know. Why a rhino? Rhinos are, I mean, it's like your bison thing to me. Because you got to have, look, every single movie, in every single movie, they've always got like the big dumb guy that's just going to b- bust through the line. And that's what the rhino's doing. Like, you're going to, okay, so here's what you're doing. You're taking the bird, let's just say we're going to pick a hawk, any kind of hawk. You send the hawk in, it's got the oversight, it's looking down on everything, it can swoop down, take out the eyes of the big animals, then you've got the rhino that just plows right through, clears a path, and then the wolves have the strategy, and they've got everybody surrounded, and they've won the battle before the other team even knows it. I don't agree with that, but, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> if, that's, if that's what you think is going to work... I would be, I'd, I'd go against you in battle. Sure, why not? The rhino gets taken out by the ele- I mean, the rhino takes down the elephant. Name me a time that you've seen an elephant succumb in battle to another animal. The lions get him, I think. I've, have you ever seen it? I always feel like any time I watch a documentary with a, 
where an elephant's being attacked by a lion, the elephant ends up getting away. Well, but it's not it's not the babies. The babies aren't getting away. But like I'm not picking some little baby. I'm picking like the three thousand pound like tusk elephant that's gonna beat some ass. Yeah, but number one, the rhino is more dangerous than the elephant. I just think that I've got you beat in every single avenue. The only stalemate is up in the skies. Wolves are taking I mean, out the that. cheetah and I, the rhino. I can't disagree with that. Wolves are taking out the cheetah and the rhino's taking out the elephant. I don't know. I don't. I, don't, I already said I don't think the elephant's taking out the rhino. I I will give you the the wolves on the cheetah. I guess. So I win then. You just said I would win. No, I said you would not win. But how would I not win when you've just admitted that my rhino takes down your elephant and my wolves no, take I, down your cheetah? No, I said the wolves would take down the cheetah. The elephant would not take, or the uh, rhino would not take down the elephant. I don't know about that, man. I don't know about that. What are we? Let's look up one basic fact and figure this out. What are we going to judge the rhino versus elephant on? Because I'm saying if they're fairly close in weight, the rhino's going to put down that elephant. Uh, see, I, I, I think on sheer force alone, the elephant would crush a rhino like with nothing. Okay. White rhinoceros weighing in around 5,100 pounds. Damn. That's a big animal. Yeah, dude. I think you've underestimated how big. You don't realize that with a two-year-old, I go to the zoo weekly. Dang, the elephant is a lot bigger, though. Elephant's 13,000 pounds. 13,000 pounds. Look, this is how I'm looking at it. The elephant is overall too spread out. The elephant is like an open-hand slap, and the rhino is like a fist. Because, like, I'll give you that a rhino's head is probably just as hard as an elephant's head. Ooh, National Geographic has a YouTube video of an elephant fighting a rhino. Oh, the ele- the rhino is... Ah, see, they've got it down right there. Here's here's where it is. The rhino is just big enough and powerful enough that it gets inside. It's like Mike Tyson, and then it just puts that horn right into the elephant, and there's nothing the elephant can do. Oh, the rhino is fucking him up. Wait till the end of the video. The fucking elephant is just going to trot away. No. Oh, the... The elephant's got him locked up with the tusk now. Man, an elephant is actually a lot bigger than the rhino. Double the size, right? They, it's a true. It, it was a stalemate. They both walked off. Yeah, I'm telling you, the elephant never loses. Well, except to a gun. <laughs> and with that, we're moving on. Um, in, in lieu of the Fast Five, which you didn't get done today for some reason, we had a request for people for us to answer questions. And we're going to make music, and we're going to call it the mailbag. So are you ready to answer this? Are you ready to answer this question we got sent by a listener? Uh, sure. If you are interested in bringing a third partner into the bedroom, what is the appropriate way to ask said significant other about that? Oh, man. That is... (laughs) I don't even know how to answer that question. I I I think you just have to be blunt about it. Say, hey... I, this is what I want, and do you want to do it? I think I agree with you in the sense that being direct about it is the best way. Like, you've just got to be honest and say, this is what I want, this is what I'd like to do, and then you have to respect whatever that other person says. Uh, but I, I think if the situation actually brought itself up where the possibility was, I don't, I don't think most people would be able to go through with it. No, I think it's one of those things that people think would be a really cool, awesome thing, and then are probably in reality like, huh, well, that was just confusing. I didn't know what was going where. And... 
I didn't know what to do with my hands. Yeah, like you just didn't know what to do because one person in that is going to get left out and just kind of be sitting over there thinking about what they're going to have for dinner eventually. <laughs> you know, and then if you're a guy and you're there's another dude with your wife, then it's like, you know, I don't know. Then someone's getting murdered. I don't know what's happening. Let me ask you this. If you were ever involved in a th- threesome, are you the guy that gets left out? Like you're just on the side trying to get in. Oh, God, yeah. Any threesome, I'd be the guy on the outside for sure. All right. Are you ready for our top five? We're doing the top five holiday movies, which the reason that I didn't want to do this, I will tell you at the end after we do it. All right. Number five. And by the way, if you don't have number one at what number one should be, we're going to have an issue. But we'll get there in a a few minutes. My number five, Gremlins. That's I forgot about that basically being a Christmas movie, but that is a good movie. I agree with your number five. Wow, you never agree with anything I ever have to say. Well, it's just that you're so rarely correct about anything. My number five is Die Hard. Oh, I do have Die Hard on my list. Die Hard is... Die Hard is amazing. I mean, I from the one-liners to to it's a good it's a good question though because it comes up a lot this week. Is is it even a Christmas movie? And of course it is. Yeah, I agree. It's a Christmas movie. Number four for me is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, see, I, I don't. I guess I I've seen it once and I think I fell asleep during it, so I don't really. I guess I don't really think of it as a Christmas movie. It is. It's got a Christmas. It's got enough Christmas in it that I think you can make that argument. I don't know if you're going to win it or lose it, but you can make it. Like I don't think of it as a Christmas movie, but I'm also not seven. My number four is uh, Jingle All the Way. Is that an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Yes. Okay. I don't see how that's better than it. It does have Sinbad. Is that the last thing Sinbad ever did? Um, I know Fox, I think, gave him his own talk show that lasted two episodes, I think. Yeah, if you're a man with a daytime talk show, that is not going to be successful. I don't even know why uh, anyone no. tries. Or unless it's Jerry Springer. If you don't have a fight on your talk show in the middle of the day and you're a man, you are not going to have a successful talk show. How did you put Jingle All the Way above Gremlin? I love Jingle All the Way. It's it's fantastic. God, you would. What's what? <laughs> that's the that's the like the ultimate way to just insult somebody without trying is just saying you would. <laughs> you were so upset at me that you forget you didn't even listen to my number three, which was Die Hard. I I, I agree with you. I actually don't have a number three. <laughs> do you have a number two? I do. I have a number two, I have a number one, I have a number four, I have a number five. I just don't have a number three. I just didn't find anything that I thought is number three to me. Oh my god. You can't, it makes no sense to not have a number three, but you have a number four. Well, I didn't feel like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone was deserving of number three, so I left it at four. You make, you make, little, you make little sense sometimes. I have no idea what to say to what you just said. How can you have a two and a four but not a three? I didn't feel like there was a movie that I found that was worthy of three. Okay. All I right, didn't want to move I'm, I'm not... I didn't want to move the other ones down because I didn't feel like they were worthy of three and four. I thought I was happy with where they were, so I just left three blank. What is your number two? Uh, my number two is National uh, Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. 
That's a solid number two. I think you could make a strong argument, though, for that being number one. Oh, for sure. The rant at the end is one of the greatest moments of film history, in my in my opinion. My number two is You've Got Mail. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. Please, please tell me that your number one is not National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It is not. Okay. All right. Good. So there's still hope. Anyways. Uh, all right. Getting back to you've. I, I, I don't even. I, I, I'm. I'm speechless. I, I don't even know what to say. I'm not even entirely sure I've ever seen you've got mail. First off. Secondly, is it set in the winter? I hope it's kind of set in the various seasons. But there's enough of a Christmas thing going on that you could make it a Christmas movie. Man. <laughs> okay. I like that's the one with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, right? Uh, don't pretend like you don't know who's in it. America's Sweethearts. For, no, Meg Ryan is not a sweetheart. She was America's Sweetheart for like thirty seconds. Well, right during when she got made, you got mail, and don't even try to talk bad about Tom Hanks around the holidays. <laughs> you love Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks—he's America's greatest works. actor. I, I know you love Tom Hanks. You would become his adopted child if. Oh, you wouldn't. If Tom Hanks was going to adopt you, you would say no. I mean, I, I didn't say I wouldn't say no. I said that you wouldn't say no. Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't say no. I'm be adopted by Tom Hanks. I don't have any problem with that. I think my own father would be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, my own father wouldn't give a shit. He'd probably, like, sign it. He'd probably want me to do it. He's probably got the papers already drawn up, just for whoever. I'll have to get him on here, and he can tell you about the time he gave me away for a sausage but no big deal <laughs> all right um, do you want do you want my number one first because i feel like it's going to enrage you or do you want to do your number one no I, I want your number one because if you say it and you don't hear anything from me it's me going outside and punching a tree planes trains and automobiles jesus christ i mean th- that is a good movie but i mean <laughs> Uh, why, why, why is it number one? Well, I would actually make an argument that Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is not a Christmas movie at all, but it is such a good holiday movie, it bleeds in and takes over Christmas as well. <laughs> You're such an idiot. That makes no sense. It's like the Taco Bell Christmas movie. It's like, it's basically like our Taco Bell argument or our fast food thing where we said that Taco Bell was such a dominant number one that it should have taken over the number two slot as well. But that, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not even in the top twenty holiday movies of all time. No, planes, trains, and automobiles is the dominant holiday movie of the last <laughs> thousand years. You're insane. No, it's not. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, There's I nothing that known. could. Planes, trains, and automobiles dominates so completely. That I would make an argument, not only is it the number one Thanksgiving movie, it's the number one Christmas movie, it's the number one New Year's movie. I would even put it as a Valentine's Day movie. I would even extend it as far as Valentine's Day, because it's that good of a movie. I really hope that you just get fucking blasted for this. I really do. Bring it on. My my number one is It's a Wonderful Life. Never seen it, could care less. Well, you you know what? You should do yourself a favor and watch it this Christmas Eve. You might learn something. Isn't it like 18 hours long? No, it's. I think it's – I don't know the exact time, but I think it's a little over two, two and a half maybe at most. 
It's it's a fa- it's a fantastic movie that transcends not only the holidays but life. Much like planes, trains, and automobiles, really, when you think about it. <laughs> oh God, I, I don't even know why I engage you in conversation. There I is no comparison between the two movies, not I, even close. Look, I've planted a flag, and I'm standing by it. <laughs> you're just wrong. You're wrong on so many levels. First off, it's it's not a Christmas movie. Secondly, it's not even those actors' like greatest roles. Not even close. Yeah, but together. <laughs> Together, they're more than the sum of their parts. And like I said, I don't care that it's not a Christmas movie. It's such a good movie, it bleeds over and takes over Christmas as well. It's like, it's like, it's okay, this is what. only had two movies on your top five, which included a blank spot that were Christmas movies. Here's the thing. I've never seen any of those Christmas movies. I've never watched any of them. I've never had any desire to watch any of them. I've never seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life. I've never seen Gremlins. I've never seen Jingle All the Way. I've never seen Home Alone, any of the 16 of them. I've never seen Elf. I've never seen any of them. I have no desire to see them ever. You know why? You know why? Because I'm watching Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uh... That's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of the Profoundly Pointless Podcast. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. We love hearing from you guys. And we're going to debut that new mailbag segment with official music, I guess you could call it, next episode. So if you have anything, any questions, any burning questions that you want us to answer, go ahead and send us a message. You can do it in a lot of different ways. We have our website, ProfoundlyPointless.com, and then we're on social media as well, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that is Profoundly Pointless. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.